Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right. Hey, it's good to be with you if we haven't met. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. Um, I've been so grateful for a full stage this morning. You know, uh, don't take for granted the people that make our worship happen, our teams throughout the week. And uh, man, that was great to see a full stage and our tech team's full back there. Our hospitality team's full. I got pastors to the left of me, pastors to the right of me. This is so cool. I had like a little cabinet here in the front row. I got Pastor Lori on one side, Pastor Steve and Theron and Caleb on the other side. I'm okay. It's like just a little cool. I kind of felt like Malcolm X up here. I don't know. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, but uh, uh, God bless you. Today in in our church calendar is the day that we call Saints Day. We celebrate um, every Sunday at our nine o'clock service. We light a candle. We remember uh, those who are part of the membership of this church that have transferred on to the church triumph in the past year. I I talked to Leah before today, um, and she named it with grief. And we've got names on our list today. Some worshiped at Heritage, some worshiped here at Mosaics. And I just want to read it myself. And you know what? Before I start talking, um, we just want a moment to uh, light candles to in our hearts or in your life if there are people that um, you're going through that valley of grief or you just want to remember today. I'm just going to sit down. Leah's going to play for a minute. And we're going to invite you to come up to our prayer walls. We've got candles on both sides of the um, worship center to light a candle, to maybe write a name down, to remember uh, someone who helped you get closer to God. Someone you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for their testimony. How many have a few in that number? Um, I do. We sing the song for all the saints at at 9 o'clock, and I hear sometimes my mom, my sister, uh, my best friend. I just could find a hear them part of that triumph song. So we're going to talk about the resurrection today, which is the real power to change that we've been talking about. It's the ultimate power. I'm going to try not to preach too long so we can come to the walls, come to the candles, and then after I talk for a little bit, come to the table. We need, we need this community, friends, this community that extends. Maya Angelou used to say when she got on stage, even though she was alone, it was very crowded because she was surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, as are we. So take a moment today. If you want to remember quietly in your heart, that's fine. If you want to come to the table, that's fine. If you want to go to the prayer walls, that's fine. This is a time for you and the Holy Spirit to do some business together.
talking you're not being rude to me if you get a call and your heart to go up to the wall or light a candle um these these walls are open these altar is open this church is open and out of it in ezekiel it says flows the waters of life just uh, want to remember the names we read this morning some again we're at heritage a lot and some were here but i'm remembering uh, jones sky longay leroy wilson uh, bill sale Gene Bielo, Lori Orr, Michael Williams, Jake Neese, a child of this church who played the drums in this service for years and years and years. Sherry Long and Gus Schrader, along as many others that we're naming in our hearts today. Let's pray together. Lord God, um, thank you for this opportunity to remember. Because when we remember, we remembership. We reclaim ourselves as part of your universal body. We can only see dimly, your apostle told us, like looking in a poor mirror. But at times like this, the floor of heaven and the ceiling of earth collapse. And we know there is one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And that a light continues to shine in the darkness. And the darkness cannot put it out no matter how hard it tries. We thank you for light and for life. What has come into being, your word said was light and the light was the life of all people. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Give me Jesus. You can have all the world, but give me Jesus. It's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Whew. Day of remembering. We've been in this series called The Power to Change and and I, I knew today was coming and I want to have a moment to look at ultimate change. When Terry and I were dating, I won't tell you how long ago that was, but we've been together over 35 years. Um, I loved her. Her parents were so gracious to me, and her mom was an amazing cook. My mom was an amazing cook. I don't know why this morning at Heritage, I said, one of the things I'm looking forward in heaven is to sit down at a table with Terry's mom and my mom and eat their food again. I, I just can't wait for that day. But we would, I would go to the house, 
And um, once in a while, my father-in-law would play some of his music. Um, it wasn't my music. I heard some of it. But he loved Sam Cooke. A lot of you, yeah, one person, good. Um, a lot of you are going to have to Google that. But, but he loved Sam Cooke, and, and I didn't know Sam Cooke. I mean, I knew of Sam Cooke. I knew of some of his music. It would be on some soundtracks for 70s or 80s music. But I, Sam T- Cooke was his music, not my music. But he would want me to sing along, and I would try. Um, but I started thinking about Sam Cooke just this morning. I was remembering my father-in-law. Um, Sam Cooke, if you know, uh, was a son of a Baptist preacher. Um, in the rural south during a time of segregation. And he was raised in that household. Almost all African-American musicians, as some of you know, started in church. Why do you think they call it soul music? Have you ever thought about that? That's why. Because it started in church. It started with the soul. It started dealing with proclaiming eternal things of God. And, And Sam Cooke was actually in a gospel group called the Soul Stirs. That would be a good group to bring in sometime. Um, In 1956, he got permission to sing secular music. And if you know that following year, he wrote a smash hit called You Send Me. Come on, some of you my age or older, you remember that. All right. Um, He had had a lot of upbeat classics. He had The Chain Gang in 1960. He had uh, Cupid in 1961. He had uh, Twist in the Night Away in 1962. And then I was born. Um, But what's interesting is in 1963, some things changed in Sam Cooke's life. Uh, he had an 18-month-old son who drowned and died. He uh, was watching the civil rights movement gain um, steam against the forces of apartheid in our country. And it was in 1963 that Dr. King delivered his dream speech. He also had an experience where he knew racism was not dead because he went to a a gig in Shreveport, Louisiana, and he was the only entertainer that was not allowed to stay in the hotel where all the other entertainers were. And he really went into a fit of rage. And it was not long after that that he wrote another classic song that actually became an anthem for civil rights and other things. You know what that song was, don't you? Change is going to come. It was 11 days after he died in a very tragic, mysterious death out in California, highly suspicious. But it was 11 days after he died that that hit the airwaves. And as we've been, you know, talking about the power of change, I don't know, being at my in-law's dinner table and hearing the change is going to come has been playing in my brain. And I realized that, you know, Sam Cooke, would, I, I did some study on this. It's as though when he wrote that song, a lot of his stuff was so upbeat. But that, I don't know, Pastor, I got a little dark. You know, there was something that was dark. I'm not sure, um, you know, what we're facing. He wrote in the one verse, he said, then I go to my brother and I say, brother, help me, please. But he winds up knocking me back down on my knees. You know, it was something of struggle, the tension you felt. But nonetheless, he had this belief somehow, somewhere, change was going to come. It's going to come. It, it, it can't. It's like that daisy that cracks up through the cracks in the sidewalk, right? Life has a way of just breaking through. Love has a way of shattering even the darkest hearts. And I don't know about you, but in our world today, we are currently observing in our country and around the globe what twisted hearts can do apart from God. 
the vile nature of what's happening in humanity in so many areas, the way we talk about others who are made in the same image of God that we are, is criminal. It's, it, it, it's of hell. And we've seen it. But yet, change is going to come. And, and, and that's not just Pollyanna. It can be. That's a danger of this series. I had two things I was thinking about as we closed this series out. We've had kind of a, 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 a Jesus light and a heaven strong temptation, I guess, in this series. One, it could, if we look at this power to change, it might say, okay, well, Christianity, it's good. It gives you a little inspiration. It gives you some information. Jesus helps you through the, you know, the trials of life. He's like the Peloton commercial. Have you seen her? Wake up! Like, God, I hear this. I just start doing laps around my neighborhood, you know, like, what? You know, and, and, and I love that. She ends, it's so great. Yes, I can. Yes, I much. Watch me. See, and that's, I love it. It's great. I, you know, I would have loved to watch that before Colgate had to go out and play Georgetown and get beat by 50 points back in the 80s. But the, the problem is what Paul is saying here is not just change is going to come, but change has already arrived. Change is here in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I leaned over to Pastor Steve this morning and I said, do you have any of those passages where you just feel like you're not up to it when you preach on it? And, and, and this one's always for me. First Corinthians 15, Paul lays out everything he believes about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he basically is saying, this is not just a change out there, down there somewhere. This is a change that happened in my life right here, right now. You can't even explain my ministry, he says. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, I was the least of the apostles. I, I, I was like a child untimely born. I, I shouldn't even have been considered because I persecuted the church. Yet Jesus Christ became alive for me. And it was just out there changed somewhere in the future. But it changed my life now. And so we can, we, can, we can diminish that or we can go to the other extreme and say, yeah, we know change is going to come, so we'll just sit back and take it until it does. And that, that's equally wrong. Philip Yancey wrote an article. He's a great Christian writer. And he wrote an article that had my attention in Christianity Today. It was the bus to the Grand Canyon. And so I read it, and what he said, he said, it's like sometimes we're all tourists in the church, and we're on a bus to the Grand Canyon, and we're on our way to see it, but the problem is we're driving with the shades up in the bus, so we have no joy in the journey. We don't look out and see the wheat fields in Kansas. We miss the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And because our shades are closed, we start acting like fools in the church and we start arguing about who has the best seat on the bus and who's taking too much time in the bathroom. And Yancey said we're, we, we degenerated to a place where we're on that bus and, and you know, we've become... We forget that the Bible, this is his words, has far more to say about how to live during the journey than about the ultimate destination. Some people of faith, he said, tend to be either or, but the world does not need either or people. Rather, we need both and Christians, people devoted to God's creatures and God's children, as well as to God himself, and as committed to this life as to the afterlife, to this city as to the heavenly one. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what the world is hungry for. You know, not pie in the sky and not a little, you know, tummy tuck here and a facelift there. And Jesus, just be my personal instructor. 
But Paul says the power of immortality, the power of heaven itself. Jesus punched a hole between the physical life and the heavenly one. And, and we have to understand the power of this. And he uses this verse, and this one has really struck me. Jesus is the new Adam. Did you hear that? The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. He became everything we needed. He brought the power of the resurrection into the world right now. And so I'm challenging you if you have too little expectations in your life with Jesus. If, if you're not really reaching high enough, if, if you think, well, you know, Christianity works for some people. I'm glad it works for you. It's helping me find inner peace and get well-adjusted. The claims of Jesus Christ are far more reaching. If he's the new Adam, three things real quick and we'll come to the table. He's bringing in a new creation. He's bringing in a new creation. He's starting a whole new race. He's recreating the universe. He's making all the sad things untrue. When Jesus got up from the grave, he became what Paul said, the first fruits of what's coming. See, we, we industrial technological people, we're so dumb. We don't even know what that means. Oh, it's the first fruits. In the agrarian day and age, I come from a family of farmers and I, none of it came to me because I can kill a fern in an apartment. I'm terrible. My great aunt would come and rescue plants from my apartment when it was my 20s and now my daughter does it for me. But, but you know, in the agrarian society, the harvest was whether you lived or died. The harvest is when, whether or not you ended up in financial ruin or in prosperity. And they would toil the harvest and then when the first fruits would come, they would get a sense of what that harvest was gonna be like. And there was celebration and you were tasting the first fruits of what's to come. Do you know Paul is basically saying to you that Jesus Christ is not just your personal assistant, he is the Lord of the universe and he is the first fruits of the world that's coming. In the world that's here. And he looked at his disciples who were wondering, where's the kingdom? Is it over there? And what's the sign? He said, the kingdom of God is all around you. It's among you. It's in you. It's in here. Jesus is the forerunner of a tidal wave of new life and new community. And it's breaking in. And as Christians, we ought to be people who can live in the old world with the energy of the new one. And not drive around with shades down on our bus but be out and exploring and seeing the love of God breaking forth in the universe. I just want to challenge you on this point before I move on. Have you ever thought about uh, how did Paul get past his past? This is, this is Paul. You know, Paul, he, he wasn't just talking about people who had twisted hearts. He had twisted hearts. Read Acts 9. He was in his way to kill more Christians. And the Bible says he was breathing violence. And now he's become part of a community of which he gathers which every week, of which he's a leader, in which are relatives of people he killed. Ever thought about that? You don't think Paul might have met Stephen's family? You don't think he preached a sermon and there's Stephen's mother who he held the coats for while they executed him? How did Paul get past his past? He didn't get just a little inspiration. He got a whole new life. That's why he said, if anybody's in Christ, there is a new creation. All things old have died and gone away. 
And he knew, this is how he got past his past. He knew that Jesus Christ did not wipe his slate clean. Jesus Christ threw away the slate and became a whole new creation in its place. One who could say, it's me, but it's not me. It's Christ in me. That's the only way Paul got past his past. And and he said, if Christ has not died, you're still in your sins. What's the opposite of that? If Christ was not raised, you're dead in your sins. If Christ is raised, your sins are dead in him. And Paul said, I got past my past because I'm I'm not hostage to sin anymore. Jesus has taken care of that for me, even though I was the least worthy of it. He's bringing in a whole new creation. I hope you hear that. I talked about being the child of farmers way back, great-grandparents. But my aunt, who was was a big farmer, she was amazing. Um, She mowed her yard, about four acres of yard, until she was 103 years old. And and never wore anything but high heel shoes and was four foot nothing, and I could not keep up with her at a shopping mall. And so she used to say, you know, I just didn't understand, you know, the way of God and the way of life. And she had these things called a Zoysa. Anybody heard of that? Z-O-Y-S-I-A. They're Zoysa grass plugs. And and you put these Zoysa grass plugs into, and and what it does is it expands and it kills out all the crabgrass and it, it gets rid of the weeds. Paul is saying to us, we have the gift of a Zoysa Holy Spirit plug in us that it is just going to come alive if we get out of the way and allow that new life in Jesus Christ to bring a new creation in each one of us. This isn't, you know... I I love the Peloton commercial. Yes, I can. Yes, I must. Watch me. And Paul goes, no, I couldn't. (laughs) No, I can't. But watch what he did with me. Watch Jesus. That's the new creation that Jesus is trying to bring. And the second thing is the new Adam restores our true image. We, Adam, the first Adam and Eve were created what? In the image of God. It says God created them, male and female. This is Genesis 1.28. I know male preachers don't preach this very often. It's because they don't read their whole Bible. Genesis 1.28, male and female. God created them in God's own image. He created them. You are created in the imago day of God. You're created in an image. But the problem is the world stains that, right? And John Wesley, a great reformer who created the Methodist community, he said that we're going on to perfection. And man, all the Calvinists and everybody just gave him holy you-know-what. We can't go on to perfection. How can you say that? He said, no, we're not going to get it in this life, but we go on to it because in each and every one of us is the imagio Dei, the image of God. And he said that image can be twisted. It can be wounded, but it's never destroyed. And so the new Adam comes in and reminds us of the image that we were created in and reminds us that so were everybody else that we're arguing with. And so were everybody else that we were all created in the image of God. And it's like looking with a mirror, right? A mirror reflects what it's turned toward. Do you ever notice that? A, a mirror is alive. It, it reflects the life and it gets it back to their source. What do we turn toward? Because if you're turned toward God, you're filled with God. If you're turned toward his light, you're filled with that light. And if you are representing your true image, you're shining like a mirror out to the world with the light of Jesus Christ, right? 
that, that, that's what, what the scripture says. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. He said, all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord, the spirit, the creator of life. That's what, that's what Jesus does as a new Adam. He's bringing a whole new creation. He's recreating the universe. He's fixing everything that's gone wrong. And he's helping us to see ourselves in one another as, the, as, as truly bearers of God's image. One last illustration. Pastor Terry used this in a sermon of hers years and years ago. I, I dug around to find out where it was in her notes. But it really hit me the day she said it, and it's hit me still, that in Japanese culture, they have something called kintsukurai. I, I'm probably slaughtering that. If there's Japanese friends on the internet, would you pray for me and give me the proper pronunciation? But I think it's kintsukurai. And what this art is in Japan is when vessels are broken, they think that their brokenness helps them be more authentic and perfect. That because when they're broken, just like people are, they're vulnerable. And so what they do when thing is broken per this art, they fill it with gold lacquer. So that, so that in their minds, this thing is more beautiful than it was at the beginning. In Kinsiori, they say, the Kinsiori, it begins the moment, this, the, the life of an object begins when it breaks and reveals that it is vulnerable, the gap between one's pristine appearance and its visible imperfection increases and deepens its appeal. That's Jesus helping us see the, our one true image. Our broken cracks in our hearts are like gold to him. The wounds in his hand are like gold to us. And he shows us that the radiance of, of his true image can shine through us, even through the common brokenness that we identify as who we are while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. We didn't have to paint ourselves with gold and silver to impress him. He took the brokenness in each and every one of us and put the, the glory of God in, in the gaps. The new Adam brings a new creation. The new Adam brings back our true image. And the new Adam takes the place of the first Adam. This is where I want to hang my hat before you come to this table today. Jesus Christ took the place of the first Adam and became our substitute, right? You want to know what's wrong with the world? Here, you can say, here's, I got a goofy pastor who thinks he knows what's wrong with the world. Here's my definition of what's wrong in the world. We are built to serve God and serve others. We are created and we are built to serve God and serve others. But instead, we serve ourselves and we use God and others to get what we want. And that's why the world doesn't work. I'm going to say that one more time. We were created to serve God and serve others. But instead, we serve ourselves and we use God and others to get what we want, get what we want, and that's why the world doesn't work. This all did. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. That's it. That's the best I got, man. That is the best I got.
And that's why it wasn't natural for us to die. And that's why Jesus, when he went to Lazarus' tomb, he was snorting mad like an animal because God did not create death. He created a world to be perfect, a world to live in harmony with him, a world to live in harmony with one another. And it says that the wages of sin are death. We did this to ourselves when we broke the world. And if we continue to serve ourselves and use God and use others like they're pawns on a chessboard for our entertainment and for our elevation and for our advancement and to get our causes through to to some kind of form of legislation, then we're simply missing the fact my job is to serve God and serve others. And like Jesus and Paul said, all of the law rests on this. But we broke the world. And so death was not our design. And so Jesus Christ took the place of the first Adam. In fact, I was preached this when I was a teenager at a fellowship of Christian athlete event. There was a preacher and he said, I got all you punk athletes in here. And he said, uh, here's, here's, here's what the story of the gospel is. He said, we're all going to go mountain climbing. We're going to climb Mount Everest together. And we got our survival gear and we've got somebody in the front and all of us have pitch axe, but we're all tied to one another and we're going up this mountain. But the one at the bottom fell off the mountain. And when they fell, the, the rope slipped and it caught up to the next person. And guess what happened to them? They fell off the mountain and it kept going and one after another and it went like dom- dom- dominoes. But the one in the front took his axe and at the cost of himself put them so far into the mountain that when that inevitable weight fell on him, Jesus Christ stood his ground. Even to be torn up for our stake, he stood his ground. And because he stood his ground, we were able to get our footing back and we were able to see ourselves in our true image again. And we will realize that Jesus took the place of the first Adam. I preached on this years and years ago. I don't know why God gave it to me. It was something I called the principle of the second son. Do you know that God doesn't follow pecking orders in the Bible? Do you know when he calls his disciples, he doesn't get resumes. He doesn't do psychological background checks. He doesn't make them take Myers-Briggs. In fact, they had principle in that day and age of the first son. The first son was the heir to the wealth, right? Why, when Jesus told the story that God blessed the second son and gave him a party after he squandered everything, why do you think the first son got an attitude? Because I am supposed to get what's owed to me as the first son. But how come then Abraham, the blessing didn't go to Ishmael, it went to Isaac, it went to the second son. And when it got to, uh, you know, Isaac's sons, it didn't go to Esau. It skipped over the power and the privilege and it went to the second son. And by the time it got to Joseph and Jacob's 12 children, it crossed over nine of them before it landed on Joseph. And when it came to David and Jesse put all of his children out there and showed them the Ivy League degrees, Jesse said, well, God isn't pleased yet. Is there somebody else? Yeah, but he's a runt and he's out with the sheep and he smells like a camel. Bring him in because God has a way of going past all of our little human conditions. God said, I don't look the way you look. You look upon the heart, but I look upon the heart and it's always that second son you got to worry about. Well, the good news today is what Adam got me into, Jesus gets me out of and thank God. Thank God for the power of that second son. Hallelujah. That second son gets me out. I will close with this to come to this table. It's Leah's fault. Blame her. 
she, she started all this. I was in seminary and there was a seminary professor. I was only in my 30s and he was uh, in his 40s and uh, his wife became very sick. They thought she had the flu, but she ended up with stomach cancer. She was diagnosed. We were all in the seminary praying for that family. But four months later, at the age of 43, she passed away just before their 23rd wedding anniversary. And our professor was broken and he was hurt. He said, I'd lost my best friend. He said he tried to take refuge in the story of Jesus' resurrection. He said, for heaven's sake, I taught on it for 25 years. One of these smart aleck master's students came up to me and said, like Paul, well, what if Jesus wasn't raised? He said, I was ready for him. He said, the problem was I knew about the resurrection historically. I knew about the resurrection theoretically, but I wasn't fully aware yet of its practical power. And as my wife was dying, I went to God and I heard God say to me, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? And he said, oh, Lord, yes, I know you raised your son from the dead, but why is Debbie dying? Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Yes, Lord, I know, but Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? Gary wrote, and these are his words, I heard God repeating the same question to me until I got his point. There was an answer to Debbie's suffering, even if I didn't know it. If Jesus has been raised, then I can trust that Debbie will be raised as well. It was sufficient to know that because of Jesus' resurrection and because Debbie and I belong to Jesus, then we will be together again, this time for all eternity. The power of the resurrection wasn't some theoretical thing to teach on a whiteboard. It had suddenly landed right in the grief of the boiler room of his life. And he could cling to it and be changed by it. And that man is still teaching at that seminary today. This is what happens to us if we allow it in. Anybody shop at Costco? Anybody shop at Sam's Club? What do you have to have when you leave? Yeah, that scares me to death. I, I, I misplace stuff all the time. I misplace my car. When I go to Costco or something, I mean, I'm holding those receipts like they're the Holy Grail. I am just sure I'm going to get to the door and security Gestapo is going to walk out and say, we have a pastor from a large church in Cleveland. He's trying to get away with $300 worth of groceries. You know, I'm just sure. So I hold my receipts and I'm trembling and I get to the door. They don't look at it. Come on. They take a marker and go, Voof. and I go, no, 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 look. I want you to look. I want you to read this like it's a scroll of Isaiah. I didn't steal anything, right? Here's the good news of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is your receipts. They're your receipts. And when the, when the death barks and when it comes out there, then Paul can look at death and he's almost mocking it. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, where is your place? Oh, boasting grave. Because the ultimate change that's coming then and is here right now is our receipts that God has stamped eternity with debt has been paid. Martin Luther, a great reformer, was asked, how do you go out? Luther was under all kind of attack. I have no idea what time it is. I'm, I am so sorry. I, um, no, I'm not. But anyhow, blame Leah. Her email is leah at garfieldchurch.org. Say, don't get Chip fired up like that. Martin Luther went out to a world hostile dome and they said, how do you keep your peace of mind. How do you stay straight with Jesus? He said, every day I get up, I say this, Lord Jesus, you became what you were not. So I could become what I am not. 
you put on yourself what was mine and put on me what was yours. And that's the receipts. I heard a very famous atheist who came to Christ, very prominent person. If I knew it said the name, you'd probably know it. And they asked him, how in the world did you come to Christ? He said, because I realized when I studied Jesus, he was the exact opposite of who I would have created if I created a God, because he challenges everything about me. I would have made a God that agreed with me all the time, who loved what I loved and hated what I hated, but Jesus Christ and him, I met the one who is risen, who is alive, and it changed his life. Friends, listen, I will tell you a mystery. You will not all die, but we will all be. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. That's the power to change. And it's here in this room. I don't know about you. Sometimes I need something real to hold on to. I'm like that little girl that was crying during a thunderstorm. And she said, Mommy, I'm so afraid. And she goes, oh, it's okay. Jesus will be with you. She said, yeah, but right now I need somebody with skin on them. <laughs> you know, I, I'm like that. This is what you have today. Come to the table, get real bread. Come to get drink from a real cup. Know his love in a real way. And I want to say to you, I'm, I'm going to, Leah, are you there? Because I've been talking about you behind your back. There she is. <laughs> Give Leah a hand. She is my. Um, I asked Leah, we're going to come to the communion table. We're going to come and kind of quiet. But some of you know, our family has had one heck of a year. We've been through a lot of stuff uh, as a family health crises with others, et cetera. I won't bore you with it, but it's been tough. But um, there's been a song that, you know, once in a while God gives you a song or God gives you a sermon. Maybe he gave you one today. Maybe something there. But there was a song that's kind of been my go-to to get me through. And it, it, it basically is uh, by Maverick City. And I asked Lee, I said, hey, can you guys do that for me today? So we're going to sing that after communion today. I want you to know we're singing my testimony of how I got through this year. Just trusting that God. And there's just these lines in this song that said, fear is not my future. You are. Right? Sickness is not my story. You are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are. Death is not the end. Somebody say, you are.